Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on May the 28th, 2017. This is part two of last week's talk to do with the carbon con, the big, big con game that's going on right now to take away your rights and your freedoms and to allow the truly micromanaging of everyone's lives from birth to death in all these socialist countries. Now, socialist countries are run by multi-trillionaires. I'm not talking about the politicians. I'm talking about the people who really own the countries. And they, they prefer a socialistic system run by all kinds of cons. That's why, why they practice conology. That's the art of conning, you see. And they're awfully good at it. That's how you manage great populations of people. Never tell them the truth on anything. Make up fake stories about fake things and tell it often enough, scare the people, and tell them you're going to save them from themselves. You should take all the rights from them. Very old plan, by the way. You can go back into the 1800s and you can find the early writings of some of the these control freaks of socialists, who again were very, very rich, naturally, who wrote about a world where no one would own any property except themselves, but technically the state would own it for them. They live on big palaces and things like that, but the rest of the public would keep the upkeep for it from, and, and do all the work and maintain it and so on. So it cost them nothing. So it's very appealing to these control freaks to, to have a world where the public really own nothing, and then they're dependent on the system they can call it the state, the government, whatever they want to call it. It's all the same thing. And this is where we're going with all of this. This, They want an end eventually, eventually an end. And I've, I've given talks on the history of this going way back. And they want an end of private property. And I'll, I'll be touching on that tonight too, to show you how it's all working together and working in uh, to allow it all to happen. Remember, we are just a big, big herd of people. And those who pay money to other people to, to live, we're, we're all part of the herd. The ones who own us all are not part of the herd. They even have particular, they might even call it religions, that they believe in where they're superior in, in all kinds of ways. And they rationalize amongst themselves why they must rule us and, and start culling us down a bit across the world. When you see the United Nations sterilizing or helping to get the funding to sterilize through different agencies and so on, the different countries and, and do abortions across the world and so on, and your own countries involved in it too, don't think that, that you're exempt somehow from it all. It's the Western countries that are the first ones to be suffering from infertility. Haven't you noticed? Haven't you noticed? They keep screaming about, oh, Africa and all the other countries, their, their, their populations are just booming. But the Western countries, it isn't just that they didn't try to have children, it's the fact that they can't, a lot of them, a lot of them just can't have children. Lots of information on that over the years too. And infertility clinics are, are really doing a great job for bringing their income in uh, for those who can afford it in the West. This is not by accident. It really isn't by accident at all. There's one thing I've always said, and never forget it. Please never forget this. Those who own you, the big farmers who own us all, 
And that's what Charles Fortin mentioned. We're being farmed, basically. And we truly are. They want us to breed up when they have big, big world wars to fight and things like that. And they, they want to cull us down when they're not, they don't need so many of us around. Uh, that's really how it's worked. Departments of statistics run our lives, and you don't even know it. It's very Orwellian. And that's why Orwell had so much of that in his, his book 1984. Statistics, statistics. That's how we're managed. And when you go into the Fabian Society and the writings of H.G. Wells, they were obsessed with statistics on the general population. You know, all them, those folk, the ones who do all the work, the ones they couldn't relate to. They talked about those people. That's the general population. It hasn't changed for those who haven't quite got it through their skulls. It hasn't changed at all. In fact, it's worse now than ever. It has a kind of smiley face on it. It has better public relations firms between your masters and you. So that you can't see the diabolical grins behind the mask, you see. You can't see it. It's too well orchestrated. And you go along with it because you, you believe, well, they must be telling us it. They can't all be telling us lies about the world coming to an end because we're breathing too much CO2 and heating ourselves and things like that. Don't forget, and I won't go over it again, the fact is that the think tanks were employed to find out a way to take the rights away from the people, to control their lives in a microscopic micromanagement system. And they hit upon the idea of using global warming, drought, famine, and the like, etc. That had fit the bill. It's an excuse they came up with. And they hammered away for years and years and years and put little inserts into movies and all kinds of things till everybody believes, oh, I guess, I guess it really is happening. Huh? You must train your herd in advance for the big move. you got to do it. Fr- from sanity to, to a form of managed insanity. We all believe a lie, a delusion. And it's done awfully well because they have so many professionals working on this all the time on us. Most of the general public, remember, are work. They, they work to keep the system going. The people who manage us simply profit from us and make sure there's many think tanks managing us by always planning the future and how to bring us into the future in a, in a subservient groveling way, like you're always to blame for something. Well, you're, you're to blame for heating up the planet, they claim. But a lot of rubbish. And it, it truly is rubbish. We know that, don't we? It's rubbish. But facts don't matter when there's big agendas at play. It's no different from world wars where they could have been stopped before they started. And people tried to use facts even then, from all sides, but it didn't make any difference because the agenda was set. Set in stone. So facts didn't matter. Same with this. Facts don't matter. And whatever happens, you see, the people who rule you, really rule you, and manage you, are living at the top. They're getting the, of the, the, the cream on, on the milk bottle. They're getting it all from all the cons that they pull onto you. That's how the world really works. It's sad, but it's true. Now, back in the 90s, we had NASA being prepped for all this too. And they came out and started talking about global dimming. Global dimming is going on and on and on because they've been spraying us to cut sunlight since the late 90s. 
You're starting to admit it now, you see. It doesn't make any difference. Again, facts don't matter. Because they want to blame us and blame us and blame us and eventually take your right of even owning property away from you. Because you won't be able to keep up with all the rules and regulations and the codes that are going to change every other year. That's how they do it. And they've talked about this glorious system for an awful long time. Yep, man is the enemy of the planet. That's what the Club of Rome said, the big think tank that came up with the idea of how to use this, you're, you're to blame for anthropogenic global warming and all that nonsense. You're to blame for all. It's always your fault. Doesn't matter what you do, it always will be your fault. Because you can't win this game. Even the general population who never look into things in any real depth because it's too unpleasant. And it's true, the scientists talked about it years ago. They would train the people through entertainment and documentaries and so on to always look for the positive and be happy about things. Don't look at the negative. Bad, don't look at bad news. Leave that to, to special special brains that can manage all. Not, don't, don't upset yourself. And keep you in an infantile state of existence. It's pretty well been done, hasn't it? And the people, but they still have been fed little snippets of like cap and trade, carbon taxes. They, they, they vaguely understand this, the things, just the terms that is, but they don't really know what it's all about. It's not meant that they really understand what it's all about. And you have all these government programs where you pay so much taxes into this and they'll give you so much back in their rebate if you, if you don't earn enough money. It's back and forth with your taxes, them taking it from you, giving a bit back, making you think you're, you're winning here, you're getting something back. Psycho- they really treat us like, like, I'm sorry to say it, but children who, who really are a bit short you know, of the dollar, you might say. That's how we are treated, honestly. It's disgusting, disgusting in this day and age. We're not advancing in anything. We're being, we're being really treated like infants. All the, and it's getting worse and worse. It's disgusting, truly disgusting. As experts come in and they're going to manage our lives and a whole new economy for those involved in high investment and trading uh, we'll be trading carbon credits on a high, high level and making fortunes off of us, the peasants at the bottom. What a racket. It was bad enough with, with derivatives and, and, and futures and all the, all the other cons that they go on the go with the stock markets, but here you have carbon trading. And just to get it going, the governments give billions out to private corporations and credits so they can start trading them off. But you had to pay for all this nonsense, this fantasy. Quite something, isn't it? Isn't that disgusting? It really is. But unfortunately, I've been talking about this for years on and off because I, I, I've always watched the big boys for years, all my whole life, in fact, really. And I've read their articles and their and the different PDFs they put out over the years and before that it was magazines and it was books and it was reports and summaries, etc. Very boring stuff, but it's the only way you get to know what's really going on. Because the media is not there to tell you. Now, everybody knows that the, the climate, the last climate meeting has taken place and so on. And it was at Bonn, the climate talks, etc. 
and they come through with the, the next part of the conference of parties, I like to call it, the COP. The parties that have elected themselves to go and, and, and uh, decide our fates, basically. The ones you don't vote for, along with some of them that you think you do vote for, just, just to sign it into law. But anyway, it says here, the intercessional talks which take place in Bonnage here, midway between the annual conference of parties, aim to move negotiations forward ahead of the larger meeting uh, which takes place towards the end of the year. A range of topics were on the table this year, including the detailed rule book on how to implement the Paris Agreement, which must be finalised at COP, Conference of Parties 24, in 2018. Now, you only have these all your, for your whole life long, you're going to hear them, as they keep upping all the different rules and, and money they want from you every single year, for as long as you live. That's what it's all about. Negotiators worked to iron out uh, details of a stock-taking exercise in 2018, which will measure progress towards the Paris goals. In other words, which countries have implemented the policies and so on. And they don't want the public really to look into it and even, never mind un- try and understand it. Because it's not really meant, I mean, it's, it's like trying to understand a bad joke that doesn't make any sense. That's literally what you've got here. A lot of conology, bogus science, with a massive uh, political social agenda behind it. That's really what, you're, what it's about. And uh, they go on about the different declarations they've got, like Fairbanks de- Declaration, a joint statement, it's an Arctic Council that acknowledges the Paris Agreement, having lobbied behind the scenes to water down its language and climate change, but it sent a much diminished delegation of seven, oh, a whole new, and I will be putting again the dictionary, they've come up with a dictionary all this rubbish now. This, you understand, whenever you get a, a bogus science created, the first thing they do, those involved, is to create a language. And that makes it seem more valid and more important uh, to outsiders because you don't understand that language. And they're, they're for the people with the white suits and all the rest of it can walk about in uh, front of the cameras with their noses in the air being awfully pompous and self-righteous because you're too ignorant to understand it all. What a racket and what a con it is. And it truly is a con. The whole darn thing's a con. But that's what they do, yeah. This is all done by your, your tax money, remember? And... It goes on and on and on with all this different terminology and all the rest of it, and, and uh, you'll be falling asleep before you can get halfway through of it. But that's how, what you get. Now, also, too, I mentioned last week, and I've mentioned it many, many times before from other, other articles, other things I found myself that got put into some of these articles from other newspapers and so on. And it goes in about so the, when they were really starting up the whole idea of global warming or or humans are at fault for destroying the planet, oh, it's all your fault, uh, etc. They were training us years ago. And that all these non-governmental organizations, many of whom, by the way, get money from your governments to fund them, along with private donations. And you don't vote them in, but they're helping run your lives on behalf of the true masters that rule us all. And they uh, get paid awfully well, the top leaders of the NGOs, Awfully well. They're like CEOs, in fact, and, and they get lifelong pensions and, and all this kind of thing as well, and shares and various things. Because remember, and all this nonsense to do with, with green technology and green this and green that, they get, they, there's a massive amount of money for, for, to get for shares, etc. And so they, they generally find those involved in pushing this on, on the rest of us have all got big, big shares in it too. 
When you really dig, you'll find that, you know. But here's again a quote by uh, Ottman Edenhofer, high-level United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change official. He says, we redistribute de facto the world's wealth by climate policy. Remember that. We redistribute de facto the world's wealth. That's communists, of course, redistribute the wealth. It sounds like, oh, well, communist and socialist thing is wonderful. It's going to go to the poor. No, it doesn't. Nothing ever gets to the poor. That's why there's still a lot of poor on the planet. <laughs> and again, as that happens too, all these folk involved, and they get richer and richer, don't they? But it says we redistribute de facto the world's wealth by climate policy. Mm. Basically, it's a big mistake to discuss climate policy separately from the major themes of globalization. One has to free oneself from the illusion that international climate policy is environmental policy. This has almost nothing to do with environmental policy anymore. It's a massive social engineering agenda. It's to bring in the new system across the board. On top of everybody, your life is never going to be your own anymore. Never. I'm not kidding you about this. And then... And these are Club of Rome. They were given lots of money to come up with, with what they could use to get us to give up all our rights and freedoms. In searching for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine and the like would fit the bill. All these dangers are caused by human intervention. And thus, the real enemy then is humanity itself. Believe humanity requires a common motivation, namely a common adversary, in order to realize world government. Mm, there you go. World government. It does not matter if this common enemy is a real one or one invented for the purpose. Hmm. And then Daniel Botkin, who was an emeritus professor, the only way to get our society to truly change is to frighten people with the possibility of a catastrophe. All this stuff is moot now because no one cares. Because facts don't matter. They've already got what they wanted and they're implementing it as we live. Al Gore, naturally, <laughs> former U.S. vice president and large CO2 producer, he certainly is, I believe it is appropriate to have an over-representation of factual presentations of how dangerous it is as a predicate for opening up the audience to listen to what the solutions are and how hopeful it is that we are going to solve this crisis. There isn't a crisis, you see. And Stephen Snyder, Stanford University environmentalist, that, of course, entails getting loads of media coverage. So we have to offer up scary scenarios, make simplified dramatic statements and make little mention of any doubts we might have. It goes on and on, this particular one, and, and I'll put all these links up tonight, and you can go through them, if you want to, just for old time's sake, because it really doesn't matter, does it? it? It really doesn't matter. And even Michael Gorbachev, I remember reading years ago on the air, parts of his books and things, and his different articles, Remember, he was the former leader of the USSR. It says, the emerging environmentalization of our civilization and the need for vigorous action and interest of the entire global community will inevitably have multiple political consequences. 
Perhaps the most important of them will be a gradual change in the status of the United Nations. Inevitably, it must assume some aspects of a world government. That was always the purpose of setting it up. Gorbachev, too, I remember reading his, one of his books. We talked about him himself. He said he, said he, was, a, he was an atheist. But later on in the same book, he, as he's talking to school children, supposedly answering questions in the book form, which is a standard old Soviet way of doing it, by the way, he said that they must create a, a new religion. This is the guy who says an atheist. We, we, we must create a new religion for the people to follow. A new religion. And it must be based on a form of earth worship, he said. So, so that's for all of you, but not for him, or those who, who rule the Socialist International. And profit from it too, by the way. And Gordon Brown, former Prime Minister of Britain, a new world order is required to deal with climate change crisis. And the United Nations Commission on Global Governance, this is, the, the, uh, this is what they said, the concept of national sovereignty has been immutable, indeed a sacred principle of international relations. It's a principle which will yield only slowly and reluctantly to the new imperatives of global environmental cooperation. Well, it's all, it's all gone here. It's just everything. Eh? It's, all, it's all there. So there you go. That's that, anyway. Now, also, the UN Bonn Climate Conference demands, and I mentioned it too last week, $300 billion from you. Per year to alleviate the tedium I'll put it up again too And then I've got this one here The jargon buster Which is like the dictionary for this All this United Nations Gobbledygook Rubbish That they're dreaming up to, So that you don't understand what they're talking about So that you'll switch off and say Well leave it to the experts It's too complicated for me as <laughs> they plunder you What's complicated about getting plundered And being, getting told you have no rights anymore hmm? What's complicated about that huh? uh-huh. Now again an old old plan this a Very old plan And I've mentioned it before It's interesting too Even reading the old stuff by Albert Pike Who really he was the Pope, they say, of, of Freemasonry, and he talked. He also was, was supposedly the head of the, the, the International Revolutionary Party that eventually became the Communist Party. But he did uh, talk about the, the same goals as all the other revolutionaries, and he talked about the end of private property, which is awfully interesting because they believed in a form of socialism and superior people, superior types of people ruling the world in all levels. And the fact that many people just were not fit to manage their own lives. It's awfully interesting when you look at it, really, because it's the same agenda going on and on and on. It's also interesting to read some of the revolutionaries' books, like Trotsky's book, My Life, and he talks about, well, he was in prison at one point, being inducted into Freemasonry. And also how he got so involved in it that he was actually writing books for Freemasons. Big, big thick books on Freemasonry with his goals and his values. And 
a vision for the future, basically. Now, remember, Trotsky was an international communist who wanted an end of the old order altogether. It simply all ties in, what I'm saying, with this whole idea of taking everything away from you, including all your rights and freedoms, by saving the world. Oh, the world's falling apart. No, it's not. There's more damage done to the world by all the geoengineering that's been going on for years and years and years. You find that you get whiffs of this down through history from those involved in revolutionary movements. Now, Tennyson, who wrote some good poetry, he did have these ideas, too, of the Brotherhood of Man, just like Robert Burns did, in fact. He was a mason as well. Who were sold on the idea that why can't we all just get along? It sounded great at the time. Rather naive at times, too, because there are differences in different cultures, massive differences. But at the same time, I can understand why they would want this brotherhood of man across the world, because the class system was so stifling, and they thought they could simply make it better for everyone in a material sense. However, those who rule the world today, who took over from it all, uh, want to take us back into a form of serfdom and manage our lives, again, from birth to death, right down to the quantities of humans they'll even need in the future. They want all that, that right. And we'll, we'll give it to them. People will, unfortunately, give it all to them and go along with it. Now, Tennyson, he wrote a poem, uh, Loxley Hall, it's called, Long poem, but he talks about the future again, which many people at the time were talking about, all working in revolution for a better tomorrow and all that stuff. For I dipped into the future as far as human eye could see, saw the vision of the world and all the wonder that would be. So the heavens filled with commerce, again, you've got free trade and the whole thing going on, argosies of magic sails, pilots of the purple twilight dropping down with costly bales. Well, they couldn't do it today because of carbon taxes for the fuel. Heard the heavens fill with shouting, and there rained a ghastly dew from the nation's eerie navies grappling in the central blue. For along the worldwide whisper of the south wind rushing warm with the standards of the peoples plunging through the thunderstorm till the war drum throbbed no longer and the battle flags were furled in the parliament of man the Federation of the World. It says, There the common sense of most shall hold a fretful realm in awe, and the kindly earth shall slumber, lapped in universal law. So it's to do with law across the world, and a federation of the world, a parliament of the world. The same thing, by the way, that Benjamin Franklin talked about, He said that the Federation of the United States, they hoped, would end up being a federation of the world. This is not not coincidence I'm talking about. This is all old stuff to me and others who have listened to me over the years. And again, young idealistic people, they think in this way. They they can't see the, the practical problems that we often see today as we're going through all of this, of course. And here's the key, too. Those who ruled the Soviet system, and the Soviet system was called the Second Great Experiment. If you, for those who, who understand history, that's what it was called. In the, the U.S. Revolution, 
that was the first great experiment. Uh, and I, it was meant to see if man could rule himself, supposedly. So they say. The founders of the US, etc. That's what they claimed. And if man could actually rule himself and be responsible for his own actions for a better world, etc. And be free, and be given more freedoms to make decisions for himself. In the Soviet system, the idea under the guise of freeing the people was to put them into a form of slavery, where they'd be managed again by massive bureaucracies and officials, etc. Because they didn't believe the ordinary folk right, right off the, or the bat could, could manage themselves. They didn't believe that in socialism. And the big boys who rule the world, who, who run all sides of everything, and they really do, they really do, study all of this to see the best way for themselves to rule the world. It's much easier, isn't it, if you have slaves, as, as they've had for an awful long time, who will study and, and get good jobs and pay their taxes to their masters, for all the projects that the masters want to stun across the world and and be good, etc. Be good and be nice to your neighbours and, and just get along with everybody else and don't go into anything in too deep a fashion to cause a stink. You don't want to be involved in protests and stuff. Just go along and do what you're told. That's a nice way to be. That's a slave who, who will earn enough money to keep himself so that the, the, the people who own them doesn't have to hire slave masters standing there with whips and, and then throw them food every day because someone who works will get his own food. It's a more efficient form of slavery. And what you're going into again is a kind of similar system of going back where everything that you do will need permission. That's where we're going into. So the so-called scientific management age that that many of the people I'm talking about tonight, including H.G. Wells, who was a member of the Fabian Society, the far-left uh, system, funded, by the way, by some of the world's biggest billionaires of the time, like the Astor family. Interesting, eh? Where they want to bring in a form of communism, but not a revolutionary one. They knew that revolution wouldn't take off in Britain the same way as it did in, in, in Russia. And so, they, I mean, physical revolution. So they'd do it the long way around the Fabian. That's what Fabian means. It's slow, slow, step by step, generations, and get to the same, the same space, you see, same place basically down the road. That's where, where it was all about. And they, they've wrote, they wrote lots of, documentation to do with the future that they wanted to bring in on behalf of their masters. And uh, they had direct contact with the Kremlin and, and the Soviet Union, according to H.G. Wells. And they even had arguments because people like Trotsky wanted perpetual revolution, constant on the go, the whole, don't stop, don't stop, all-out revolution, whereas the, the Fabians in, who were running uh, Britain at the time and the Fabian Society wanted to do it again by using the existing governmental system. It could be brought in in such a way the public wouldn't even know what had happened because there would be no bloodshed. Isn't that clever, eh? They simply change it little by little by little by, until your lives are getting managed just like they are today. 
quite interesting really, when, you, when you look at it all. So anyway, the masters get all this information, and this is the kind of system they're bringing into us. We're about to be responsible. If they allow us to be born at all, if they need us, then you'll be responsible. And they want to check your brain every, every other month, like they do in Scotland with Gerfec, and, uh, and then eventually bring uh, psychological testing on a monthly basis to every adult. Yeah, that's how they're going to do it all. Not bad, eh? And the people will comply because they want to be good. And, and there you go, that's it. So, remember, as I say, you'll find that Benjamin Franklin did talk about World Federation. And I'll also put up tonight prominent World Federalists. And Albert Einstein was one, of course. He talked more about world government and Zionism than he did about science. It's interesting how you can create a, a superstar and claim that they're a scientist. Really, is quite interesting. And they still do that today with other people. Other, they create superstars uh, using the same machinery of pop stars for particular scientists to try to get the public interested or to do what they're told. Anyway... He says there's no salvation for civilization or even the human race other than the creation of a world government. That was always a goal for world revolutionaries. And it says, as a preeminent physicist, he radically transformed our understanding of the universe. As an ardent humanist, he took an active and outspoken stance on the significant political and social issues of his time. His contribution to modern physics is simply unique, so they say. A lot of it nobody understands, so you can't prove it or disprove it. But anyway, it says, he always found time to devote tireless efforts to political causes close to his heart. His ardent humanism led him to strive for peace, freedom, and social justice. The young Einstein found the authoritarianism and militarism of the German educational system profoundly disturbing. The virulent nationalism and brutality of the First World War served to confirm Einstein's pacifist and international convictions. In the 1920s, Einstein became an active leader of the international anti-war movement and supported conscientious objection. And it goes on and on and on. Uh, now, naturally, who wouldn't after World War I? Who brought World War I on? It doesn't make sense to anybody. It doesn't. But we do know again through the Fabian Society and other people who worked for it and wrote about it, that they wanted a world war to bring every country to its knees so that they would go under a world government to give up their sovereignty. But it didn't quite work. So they wanted another one. Hmm. Then who else was in this, this, this society? Walter Cronkite. That's just the way it is, eh? For nearly five decades, the World Federalists have worked to promote a strengthened UN and more effective institutions of global governance. I offer my personal endorsement. Now a great opportunity has opened for the realization of the dreams of the United Nations founders. And that was, that was spoken by Cronkite himself. Officially nicknamed Old Iron Pants for his unflappability under pressure, Cronkite's accomplishments both in the air and off have won him acclaim, etc., etc., and he, he did have the American trust. I mean, you, when you people think that people on TV who speak with authority must be saying the truth, but but remember, they're private. That these are private people who work for private organisations that own the news. Very clever. So naturally, he uses use technique to influence opinion. 
It says here in 1993 he joined Jonathan Ward to form a production company, Cronkite Ward and Company, and so on. Uh, and he did work on the, for the Scotland Radio Channel and etc. It says he was also a proponent of limited world government on the American Federalist model in accepting 1999 Norman Cousins Global Governance Award. At the ceremony at the United Nations, Cronkite said, It seems to many of us that if we're going to avoid the eventual catastrophic world conflict, we must strengthen the United Nations as a first step towards a world government patterned after our own government with a legislature, executive and judiciary and police to enforce its international laws and keep the peace. To do that, we Americans will have to yield up some of our sovereignty and that would be a bitter pill, etc., 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 H.G. Wells, who died in 1946, he also was a member. I'll put that up too. And uh, he was a eugenicist. The whole thing. He, he, he. It's amazing all the different characters you find in this. Like Julian Huxley again. Julian Huxley was a, a, a eugenicist who talked openly, not just about abortions of all the peasantry, but also the, the insertion of mandatory eugenics. That sterilization of, of, of people, but it's also the right of those with better genes to impregnate the lower classes to bring up the gene pool. That's what they thought. Yeah. H.G. Wells talked about a permanent international congress which will ensure the peace of the world. That's what he says. He saw national governments continuing as the custodians of the common law and international trade while acting as an intermediary between Congress and their own municipal governments, thus combining some centralized power with subsidiary wherever possible. Thomas Mann, a German novelist, essayist, and 1929 Nobel Prize laureate, uh, considered one of the greatest novelists of the 20th century. Mann's first novel, Budenbrook's, 1901 was an, an elegy for old bourgeois virtues, etc., etc. And he moved to Switzerland in 1933 after the Nazis came to power. A lot of them ran out. A lot of the communists ran out, actually. It doesn't mention the communists here, but you find a lot of them were actually communists. And we know that now, that they ran out of Germany. And then they started promoting, even in countries like Britain, the overthrow of Britain by communists. It's quite amazing. It really is quite amazing. Nothing's ever ever quite simple and straightforward. Bertrand Russell, again, he was also a member of the Federalist Society. He was a member of everything, actually, to do with this. It says, science has made unrestricted national sovereignty incompatible with human survival. The only po- the possibilities are now world government or death, he says. Counted amongst the towering intellectual and philosophical giants of the 20th century, Russell was an eminent mathematician, essayist, social critic, educator, and political activist, as well as one of the most widely read philosophers of his time. He was actually a member of the organizations, Frankfurt School, and the Macy Group that were given the right by the U.S. presidents to create a new culture for America and the West, for those who don't know it. This is a prodigious talent. Russell wrote constantly. He he did more more than 70 books and booklets and over 3,000 articles. 
People couldn't stand him, by the way. And during the World War II, he also worked for MI5 <laughs> to write propaganda. <laughs> so it was quite quite amazing, too. But he was a complete control freak, too. He, did, he again, believed that the general public were too dumb and stupid to manage themselves or to have the right to have free thought or will or anything else. And, and most of them, including Wells, blamed the public for the wars, not, not the people at the top who caused them all. It was always the people at the public's fault. But see, it's always your fault. It's like breathing CO2 and, and all this nonsense about destroying the world and all that. Same thing. It's always your fault. And you can read that article for yourself, but there's, there's lots of other names involved in the Federalist Society, World Federalist. I think Hillary Clinton might. I'm not quite certain on that, but she might also. Remember, she talked to Cronkite about it, and she might be a member too. But you can find out for yourselves by investigating if that's the case. You'd be surprised how many folk are in on it. And remember too, when you have top newscasters giving you your opinions and so on, and their whole goal is to sway opinion into, oh, I guess he's right, we should always give up all our rights and everything and just, and just be servants of a world government. You understand, when, when you have the psychopaths running your own, well, at least being put in charge, because there's, there's a, a layer way above them that runs is all. But, but when you have the psychopaths already messing things up for you in politics, because it's only the psychopaths that crave the power, the biggest psychopaths would be in a world government. And you, you'd, there'd be no, there's no call back now from politicians who break all their so-called, <laughs> do you really believe in promises, do you? Huh? Folks still want to believe in them. And they keep voting even though every politician is a liar because they're psychopaths. It's kind of sad, isn't it? So imagine getting the top psychopaths in, running the whole world. I mean, every king, every king, tyrant, down through history, wanted, oh, they could imagine, imagine being king of the world. And it still, it still gnaws away there amongst these, these different psychopaths that vie on that level for politics. Hmm. Down the history books. The first CEO of planet Earth. Inc. Now I'm going to put up a stack of other articles for you to read. For those who want to read, very few folk will. Because they really don't want to know all the bad stuff. And it's only the, 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 those people who have some fortitude know who can manage it and stomach it all. And who really, really want to know. And maybe they can themselves make decisions as to what to do for the, the immediate future just to survive themselves. Lots of folk will be moving. Big time. But anyway, uh, this one here is talking about the refugees coming in Canada and so on, but the interna- but this Centre for International Governance Innovation, that's CG they call it, that's also a branch of the, C- the, the CFR. In fact, the head of the Canadian CFR for a while, I think, was Lloyd Axworthy. He's now, this article is, is about him because he's working with this council heavily for international cooperation and so on and so on. He also was involved in drafting up the NAFTA agreements, I'm sure, of it, by the way, and, and assigning the further signing a deeper, deeper integration of NAFTA over, in like 2005, I read articles about, about that at the time. 
He was in charge of the CFR panel at the time that was behind all that. And I put his, his uh, wiki up as well. And then the Interior Climate Change Solutions Deployment Corporation and the, the Interior Ministry of Environment and Climate Change. And that's what they're calling it, by the way. The MOECC. Anyway, two runners stepped towards implementing the goals in the Interior Climate Change Action Plan called CCAP. So they have, they have the, the MOEC or whatever, and then you have the FCC, the CCAC. I was going to say FC, like the football club, but it's not that. By filing the Interior Climate Change Solutions Deployment Corporation's regulation, the regulation, the MOECC, created a new non-shared capital corporation to stimulate the development of clean technology as bureaucraties. is such gobbledygook nonsense, isn't it? Uh, so to stimulate the development of clean technology and assist with reducing barriers that may inhibit the implementation of the CCAP uh, and its goals. And what you need to know. Ay, ay, ay. A world of bureaucracy and bureaucraties. This article here is to do with uh, five things you need to know about how Ontario's climate change action plan <laughs> will affect your life. It will released today. Uh, include uh, financial incentives to get cleaner, more efficient cars and trucks on the roads. Actually, it's to get you off the road when you really read it. And convince homeowners and businesses to lower their carbon footprints. Like wonderful things too, because a law coming down the pike where you can't even sell your home until you have the thermal approval, etc., etc., etc. You see how it's all going down the p- And there'll be lots of folk losing everything, folks. Lots, lots of people losing it, literally the old kitten caboodle. Yep. Yep. Abolition of your private property. And remember, there are people who own vast swaths of down-through big cities of private housing, and they rent to the people in cities. And, oh yeah, there'll still be that. There'll still be that for the multi-trillionaires that manage you, and you rent your little shacks from them. That'd be okay. But if you have your own place, oh, you're going to have to get it thermally approved and all the rest of it too. This article here is also about... Media normalization of geoengineering. The fact is we are living through a test already. Because they're always telling, oh, they're going to test, they're going to test it from the universities. But they've actually been doing it since 2000, actually since 1998. And it says the New York Times recently printed a cheerleading article in obvious support of spraying the atmosphere and dust the population with tons of particulates. The article's headline is it okay to tinker with an environment to fight climate change? So they always use an excuse as what you do it, or the, the fact it's not to fight climate change. It's actually causing global dimming and more rain, as you well know, and it's, and, and it's making darn cold at night. And it's also making people are awfully sick. They, they'll know exactly how many people, what kind of percentage of people is going to die with all this, and has been, have been dying already, by the way. It says, it's okay to tinker with the very air we all breathe to fight a crisis created by dishonest scientific data. It goes into the Harvard scientists David Keith and Frank Kutch are moving ahead with plans for atmospheric geoengineering experiments, according to Harvard scientists moving ahead on plans for atmospheric geoengineering experiments. Again, they're always lying to you because they've been doing it since 1998. 
And they'll be putting out pounds of chemical compounds, liquid sulfur. Uh, they're even discussing they could be doing that. And it can be sprayed as a gas from aircraft. It's not a one-time event. It'll take place throughout the year, dispersing a load that amounts to 25,000 tonnes. Have you tried breathing in liquid sulfur? And then uh, harbour professors uh, say they hope to launch a high-altitude balloon tethered to a, a gondola equipped with propellers and sensors from a, a site in Tucson, Arizona. And after initial engineering test, the stratoscruiser would spray a fine mist of materials such as sulfur dioxide. Quite fascinating when you see all this lovely things that these people have just unilaterally decided what they're going to do with your breath and how you how you really <laughs> quite. Did they ask you? No. Remember, in a new society, you have no rights. You don't even really have the right to be informed about anything. You definitely don't have the right to be told any truth about anything. But anyway, it says how unfortunate for Tucson. And by the way, it it takes a reading most of this 3,000 plus words of pro-global geoengineering anthropomorphic climate change propaganda to get to the buried line. It says, but Keith is not trained as an atmospheric scientist. Oh, good. That's a lot like finding out on your kid's first day of school that he's riding home on a bus driven by a bus driver without a license who was never trained on how to drive school buses before he was put in charge. And it says, In chemtrails, the consequences of toxic metals and chemical aerosols on human health. It's an article by the late Dr. Ilya Parlingwery, first published by Global Research in May 2010. The poisons of chemtrails and their toxicity are frankly discussed. Over the past decade, Independent testing of chemtrails around the country has shown a dangerous, extremely poisonous brew that includes barium nano-aluminum-coated fiberglass known as CHAFF chaff, radioactive thorium, cadmium, chromium, nickel, desiccated blood, mold spores, yellow fungal mycotoxins, ethylene, and for getting this badly, it's killing a lot of people. And it says ethylene dibromide and polymer fibres Barium can be compared to toxicity of arsenic, and barium is known to adversely affect the heart. Aluminum has a history of damaging brain function. Independent researchers and lab continue to show off the scale levels of these poisons. A few anonymous officials have acknowledged this ongoing aerosol spraying. So it's true. You don't get folk on the edges of who, of the real who are doing all this who will admit it, but they're terrified. We're living in a world where folk are terrified to speak. They're terrified of their lives. Is that your free and wonderful democracy? If it's like that, now, what do you think it's going to be when you have no rights at all, officially? Huh? Anyway, this is quite a good article here. And it tells you the difference between alumina, aluminum, and so on, and different compounds, and what the differences are, etc., etc., and what they do to you. And it also goes into stuff I, I did years ago. I, I did a whole list of stuff that the governments in the U.S. and Britain and Canada had done on their populations over the years of spraying various things on their populace, on the population, then studying the fallouts by doctors' visits, hospital visits, and so on, without telling the people what had happened. Quite something. It's quite. It's not uncommon either that it happens. Well, even the United Nations admitted, the World Health Organization admitted a few years ago, and I read it from their own site, 
on the air that they had tested forms of flus and trial runs before the main flu comes. They, they let flus out and then they track where it, where it travels and so on. Eh, <laughs> you have no idea. Another science article, IFLS Science, detailed in the U.S. military once tested biological warfare on the whole of San Francisco. This is quite a good thing to look up to. It's quite fascinating. This is a report issued in 1965 by President Lyndon Johnson's administration called attention to dangers of increasing concentrations of CO2 and anticipating Keith's research speculated that a global response might be to change the albedo or reflectivity of the Earth. If they were talking about doing this more than 50 years ago, is it possible they already started and are only now informing us because the geoengineering is going to become so obvious what it already is, they can no longer call it a conspiracy theory. And that is a fact. By the way, it was one guy who started that whole nonsense. He eventually changed his mind about uh, CO2. But this one guy, the scientist, gave uh, lectures to Al Gore, and that's what started him off in this track too. And of course, Al Gore knows too. It's an awfully lucrative field, isn't it, for carbon exchanges with the, the like banks basically and green banks and all the rest of it. What a great, a great money maker for all these con men. Hmm. Another one, too, is Canadian Taxpayers. 19th Annual Gas Tax Honesty Report, Canadian Taxpayers Federation, May 18, 2017. PDF for those who want to look into it to see how you're going to get hammered. And I've said it before, and, and when you're in a post-industrial system and you're now into post-consumerist system, all your extra money under the austerity plans was supposed to be taken away from you in taxes. I gave those talks a few years ago, and here it's all coming to pass. They always tell you what they're going to do if you don't understand what they're saying. And you're not afraid to look at the negative, nasty, unpleasant things. Constitution gives Ottawa right to impose carbon price on provinces if the provinces don't agree, because some of the provinces, they say that it will kill them. Carbon tax will kill them regarding exports, etc., and cost of everything. It's just, it will kill them all together. So the federal government is going to step in here and punish them all. Punish, 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 because we're all bad and naughty. Isn't this like being back at junior school or something? Eh? Get, get used to it, because this is a new, the new normal. You're all children. No matter how old you are, if you're a peasant, you're a child, and you're going to have authoritarian specialists giving little diplomas to come into your homes and spank you and, and, and give you nasty marks for not, for not having your home thermally proficient enough. Fines, 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 and you can't sell it anymore, so they'll just take it off you. End of private property for the peasantry. It'll take a while for that to happen, step by step. It's a few homes here and a few homes there over the years, until you're all in the same boat. You'd be lucky to get a boat, actually, wouldn't you? Mind you, maybe that's what you should do with it. Try and get a boat, and we'll become the boat people. We can go to some other countries where there's no one left. They've all moved here. And maybe we can, we can move in there and, and live and get some peace for a while. Anyway, it says McKenna released a discussion paper Thursday on, on the details of a federal carbon price plan which will be imposed on any province that doesn't have at least $10 a tonne price on carbon. What, what a con, eh? What a, it's like the king has no clothes. 
Uh, and that's the start, though. That's the start. It's to go up to about 50 in about a year or something per ton. And on other articles I've read, anyway. Oh, they're talking about courts and all the rest of it, and fining people, and all blah, 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 and even fining provinces. And, and it says the goal of a carbon levy is to persuade people to save money by reducing the use of fossil fuels. That means off the road, don't heat yourself, freeze to death, just like Britain. This could mean using public transport. Well, that means no more in the country living. You understand that? Because it's Agenda 21. No private vehicles, just essential vehicles only. Huh? Is it starting to come together for you? <laughs> yeah, there's all kinds of punishments, etc., etc. But yeah, it's all in here, including you can't sell your home, etc., etc. Federal carbon tax plan to follow our better plan include individual rebates. They give you a little rebates thing. I'm something back from the stuff that they steal from you for this great con. You're being taxed for living, folks, just because you exist. And people will get awfully rich off of you. They always do, don't they? Slavery is alive and well in a better, better state than ever existed in ancient Egypt. Here we are. We're progressive. That's what progressive means. Anyway, I could have said a lot more tonight, an awful lot more. Some stuff isn't safe to say anymore, by the way, to do with politics and so on. And... It's quite amazing to watch the real forces behind Donald Trump emerge. Not that their parties were any any better, actually. It's just what gang are you going to support? And it's become rather evident what's behind it all. Anyway, that's the way it is at the moment. So from a very heavily chemtrailed sky in Ontario, where it's getting lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of rain because of it too, and global dimming, naturally. Which must all be my fault. I'm Alan Watts, and it's good night from Ontario. And may your God or your gods go with you.